Welcome to Kashris on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashris Magazine. And this week has been jam-packed with information and for the kosher consumer. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there are, are well world problems that have to be addressed. And at Baruch Hashem, I see some of the, of the different organizations are rising to the occasion and hopefully will have some impact from this country on what's going on in the rest of the world. And it's getting closer to home, as you will find out. We're going to be talking about, and I'll start with it first, about the United Kingdom, which is Britain. And it is close because that is a... I don't want to call it a sister country, but that's, you know, where we came from. I mean, as far as a country of the United States, and it's our closest ties with Europe. It's an English-speaking country, and we had very close ties over the years. And now we're seeing, again, an opening in a wedge being created in kosher and shrita over there. It, nothing happened yet. But let me just talk to you about what is going on and for you to understand that what's playing out in Europe, in one part of Europe, in Western Europe, is, is playing, I'm sorry, Eastern Europe, is playing out as well in Western Europe. It's a very difficult time for the Jews in Europe. America is the only other place. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Russia right now. We're talking about the United States is not that distant and the challenges may come in the future, although, as you will learn today, we have some solid backing in the country, and hopefully we will not experience what they're experiencing over there. But we have to be concerned for our brothers. That's an olive base. I think that uh, one of the big problems that happened in the Second World War was not just that the government of the United States was isolationist and didn't want to get involved, I think the Jewish people here didn't either, they didn't know, okay, but they did know something, and I don't think that we got enough involved. Maybe in those days you couldn't. I'm not saying judging anybody, but it just, it always is a question I always ask my parents. I always wanted to know more about it, and I really didn't get enough information to be able to to make any statement. But I, I always felt that we should have done more here in this country. And then, and then when we found out what was done at that point, uh, whether the masses of people found out, they probably never found out until after the war, uh, but still in all, it was known in this country during the time of the war what was going on in Europe, and some people were motivated and others were not. And we have to think... You know, I always thought, what would it be like if I was living then? What would I have done? Would I be saving Jewish lives? I just always thought about this question. Now, here we are in the time where people are challenging in Eretz Israel, they're challenging kosher, they're challenging kosher in the in the uh, in Western Europe, in Eastern Europe, and now in Western Europe, and it's getting closer to home. So let's just delve a little bit into this issue. What's going on in in um, in the UK now? Nothing is new in the sense that there have always been challenges in the UK, uh, but that's why we have the, the Shrita UK. Uh, it's an organization that tries to educate the people and to, uh, and to uh, you know, be a, uh, a, an ombudsman and a, and a representation of the, of the Jewish world to the non-Jewish world about what Shrita is all about and to do it, make efforts to protect Shrita in the United Kingdom. It's a very wonderful organization. I have a wonderful website. I wanted to create a website like that in the, in the United States. I never had any support. Um, we, did, we did actually own the name Kosher, uh, I mean, it was it Shrita USA. That name was really officially mine, whether I used it or didn't use it. I, hopefully someday somebody will use it. I came to the organizations, or I, I begged them to take it over, and so far nobody has done anything. Let's go now to what's going on in the UK. It seems that there's an, uh, there's an organization called CMPR, Center for Muslim Policy Research. And they say that the Muslims, that's, you know, I mean, we, you have to stand, we, when we're talking halal and kosher, to the non-Jewish world, halal and kosher is one group, religious 
uh, religious shrit, uh, you know, religious uh, uh, killing of the animals, you know, religious slaughter. That's to them. It's it's, it's we're together, even though we're a million miles apart and not have anything to do with each other. But in in this regard, we are unfortunately put in the same team, and all of the negativity towards the uh, towards the Muslims and all the negativity towards the kind of uh, sh- of, of killing that they do, which is not the same at all, like shrita. It, it, uh, it, but we have no choice with that. We have to work together with them. Otherwise, we're both going to fall. So the Center of Muslim Policy Research says that Muslims have to act to ensure that the current law, which exempts Muslims and Jews from the need to pre-stun animals before slaughter, is upheld so that religious communities can continue to enjoy kosher and halal meat. The, they report the slaughter of animals for food production as per the religious rituals of Muslims and Jews, is currently under threat from animal rights organizations who are campaigning to implement a blanket ban on slaughter without stunning. And that's a funny thing that they're doing. You know, I don't know if you realize it. The anti-Semitism of today is, it takes the form of anti-Israel. If they're opposed to Israel, and they say Israel is an apartheid state, Israel is, uh, is doing genocide on the Arabs, I mean, the whole, the, whole, uh, you know, you know, the whole brainwashing that they're trying to create on this world, that they've been doing for years and years and years, they've been, wor- they've been trying to, to change the thinking of the American people. So that whole thinking that's, that's, that's been going on is, is making headway. And, if, and what they do is they confuse you. They make it sound like we're not against Jews. We're just against Shrita because they don't, it's not humane. They, they don't uh, pre-stun. And pre-stunning is absolutely required. And that's what they do. So, but, but what it does is it's an anti-Semitic thing because it makes it impossible for a Jew to live. I mean, uh, in that country. Obviously, the Jew is going to choose to leave the country, whether he or his children, and whether it's in one year, five years or ten years. But not too long can he stay there if he wants to eat meat and be, and, and be normal on, on, on the Shabbos and Yom Tov. So there are people. There's people living in Cuba. I, I read about this too. The people living in Cuba, there are Jews living in Cuba that do not have any meat. They live without meat because there's no shrita. They're not allowed to have it, and they, and they live without it. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a way to live that not everybody's ready to take on. And if you say that that's what's required, many Jews will give it up, and other Jews will choose to leave. So, as a communities, the, the, the communities in these countries, which are maintaining the services of the of the, of the places to daven and the yeshivas and the rabbanim and all the services that are done for the Jews by the Jews, and then in an aging population, that's not only going to be continued if people can live there. If they're going to start to run away in mass from these these different countries, um, even though ultimately that is the kibbutz galios, but in, but in the short term, uh, it's it's abandoning the Jewish communities in those countries. Uh, interestingly enough, when you talk about uh, Jews leaving the country, we saw that in Afghanistan, this was the last Jew to leave, and then afterwards there was another last Jew to leave, and who knows how many more Jews will be the last ones to leave. So, but there, but there, uh, there are all those small little pockets in many, many countries, and they rely on these community services just to be able to live a somewhat normal life. So that, let me just tell you what's going on over there. This is these are quotes. This is a quote from these. Uh, this is a quote, I think, uh, looks to me like it's all from the same place, from this uh, Muslim policy research. Lack of access to kosher and halal meat will unfairly, it could be at somebody else I'm quoting now here, uh, lack of access to kosher and halal meat will unfairly burden religious minorities and may lead to legal challenges on freedom of religion grounds. Driving the UK's halal and shrita meat industry abroad to countries without the UK's robust animal welfare standards and supply chain traceability may have a negative impact on animal welfare standards. So they're saying what you're trying to do is to defend should have good standards in, uh, in how you handle the animals, humane uh, standards, etc. And, and here you're sending the people out to other countries to get their meat and the meat that they're going to get from the other countries may have lower standards in, 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 the, in the humane treatment. So really what is counterproductive. And that's uh, one svara. 
Now, there's a, a, an organization called the HMC. That's the Halal Monitoring Committee. Also on the Goyim here. Uh, this, uh, we'll talk about this. Uh, we'll skip them and go on to Shrita UK. This is a quote from Shrita UK. All forms of mechanical stunning cause pain on application for animals, and therefore meat of an animal stunned prior to slaughter are always prohibited for consumption for Jews. In other words, we consider it to be um, that it's not any better, the stunning business is going to cause pain, and uh, we don't, that's not the reason why I don't allow it. We don't allow it because we don't know if you're going to kill it. It has to be alive when the time the shrita. We also should know it affects very possibly affects the ability to properly drain out the blood with malicha. So because of these two reasons in particular, uh, we'd never, not, you know, and there were poiskim, upaskim, you can't do it before shrita. There were those who permitted it after shrita, within the first 30 seconds or whatever it is, because they wanted to be right after the shrita. There were those who permitted that. We don't do that. And there were those who permitted actually before the shrita in certain cases when they needed to, but we are not going to go there. No, um, one rabbi told me that it was going to be absolutely prohibitive if he didn't permit them to do the, the stunning after the shrita, after the shrita because uh, the, the, they, they were going to charge them double the price for meat, double the price. Okay, you're paying eight ninety nine per pound. $10.99, $15.99, just double it. That's what would happen if he didn't permit the stunning after Shrita. So he permitted it. Um, the other communities, Baruch Hashem, are not doing that, but this was, one, this was one community in Europe. In order to keep the Shrita going, they started to permit that. Okay. The Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the RSPCA, they advocate pre-slaughter stunning, they say it's opposed to the slaughter of any animal without first ensuring it's rendered insensible to pain and distress. We therefore believe that all animals should be stunned prior to slaughter. This group has always been against Shrita, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. It adds that meat produced from animals not stunned before slaughter should be clearly labeled to allow consumer choice. And this is a big problem because once you're going to start labeling it this wasn't stunned. This meat was not stunned. Then people won't buy it. Now, what does it, you know, what does it matter to us? We're buying the kosher meat. We, so it's not stunned. We'll buy it anyway. That's not the problem. The problem is that in order for us to be able to do the shrita, we have to sell the meat that we don't use because it becomes a novella or it's a trefa. We have to be able to sell it to non-Jews. But if they're going to have to label that the shrita was done, they're, going to, they're not going to buy it from us anymore because they're not going to get enough business. People are not going to be interested in buying it. They want to be in supermarkets, etc. And it's going, to be, uh, it's going to say these things on it. People are not going to buy it. So they're going to pass over that meat. That means we're going to have to swallow all the nevelos and trephus money. That's a very big hit. I don't know the exact numbers anymore what the shrita does. But, you know, glad kosher is this much percentage. The kosher is that much percentage. But basically, we're in the world today. I don't know what's going on in England. I can't tell you. But uh, in this country, almost any meat, all meat that you buy, everybody's listening to me, all meat you buy is glad kosher. The, the meat that some other Jews buy, there are some, some places that use non-glot. Very, very few places still produce non-glot meat which means that it's either glot or it's sold as treif. Yeah, there's a certain market for, for, for non-glot, but not a big market. So if you're going to sell it not as glot for treif, so let's say, for example, the, the, I, can't, I don't even know the numbers anymore, but let's use a number, a round number, something that maybe I remembered. Let's say 30 40% comes out glot, which is phenomenal numbers. I don't think it's really that at all. And forget the base Yosef glot, just the... Plain glot, let's say you get 30, 40%. That means more than half the meat is being sold to non Jews. If they can't get that market, that means your meat is going to double in price plus. So it's really bizarre, the whole thing. For us to go into this, in, into labeling is, is a killer for the, for, the, for the price of meat. 
And it would probably be cheaper probably to buy from out of the country. Furthermore, the, the CMPR, the, uh, the, the, uh, it says that common methods of stunning, uh, this is, I'm sorry, the RSPC, uh, RSPCA, yeah. They say that common methods of stunning are not humane and cause considerable pain to the animal. In other words, um, oh, I'm sorry, the other way around. The CMPR says, that's, uh, that, that, that's the, um, the, the halal group, they're saying that the stunning methods are not good of methods. We know about that. Now, this is a, a very interesting finds they have. This is uh, what their suggestion is, the CMPR, which was this uh, Muslim council, the Center for Muslim Policy Research. So they recommend three things, which is very interesting, and it, it's it, good. It's a good idea to hear it. Number one, that they improve the slaughterhouse management and the slaughter practice as a whole, instead of focusing only on religious slaughter methods to ensure animal welfare. In other words, what they're doing is making us the scapegoat. What's going on in the industry doesn't bother them. Just what are the Jews and the... The Arabs doing. That's the only thing that bothers them. So it, it's if they instead focus on the animal welfare in the whole in the whole uh, industry, that would be a better idea of improving the, the the industry as a whole. And you'll see later on what we're talking about. Number two, introduction of a permit that allows slaughterhouses to slaughter animals without stunning. In other words, okay, you don't want it, fine, but let's have a limited control for religious purposes. Okay. Number three, a review of regulations surrounding common stunning methods. Because when you, look, when you study about the, com- the methods of stunning, you'll learn that they are really very, very bad, they're, that they're not concerned at all for the animal. And uh, even though they're, they're doing the stunning first, there are a lot of problems with stunning. And we'll come to it. A little bit I'll read on the air. The rest I will not read on the air. And uh, sometime maybe I'll be able to produce some of it in writing. I just don't want to, it, it would scare you if I would tell you exactly what occurs with some of these stunning methods. It's very, very strong language in these uh, articles. Now, the, the big thing that's going on is, of course, that Greece banned Shrita. Now, Greece has joined the other, does a lot of other uh, communities in Europe to ban the Shrita. And uh, principally, uh, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, Slovenia, and certain Belgium regions, they all were, were banning Shrita, and now they're adding in Greece. Netherlands and Poland used to ban it for a while, and then uh, we, they permit it for, um, they, uh, they, they ban the exporting of the meat, but they're permitting it for the consumption of the people who are living in that country. So, they're not as big a problem at the present time. But there is a growing interest in banning shrita and halal in Europe, especially in Eastern Europe. Now, what happened in Greece is that they, uh, you know, they, they came out and, and made this statement that they're going to, that they did ban it. And uh, it's, it's really pathetic when you think about it. First of all, we'll learn a little bit about, the, uh, about some of the stunning methods and why they're not any good. But more importantly, what do they think? We're not people? I mean, they, ha- they seem that they're at the same time that they're doing this, the European court in December 2020 permitted the states to prohibit the, the, the halal and kosher. So that's what they're what they were coming from. The European Court of Justice decided you're allowed to ban it and no problem at all. That's what they're all coming from, this, with this European Court of Justice. But the interesting thing is that uh, before this, just before this, it seems that there was, the, uh, there was a 46-page paper. It says, it's called U. EU Strategy on Combating Anti-Semitism and Fostering Jewish Life, 2021-2030. For the next 10 years, this is what we're going to concentrate on in Europe. The EU court says this thing over here. I mean, it came out with this a press release from the, uh, that they put out, a document, 46 pages saying how we're fighting against anti-Semitism. Now, what do they think 
anti-Semitism is. At the same time, you're, you're forbidding shechita. That's not anti-Semitism. You're singling out a people, let's say the Arabs, also, but you're singling out people. You're not dealing with the whole thing of factoring, uh, raising of, of, of animals, all the slaughter methods. You're singling out a people. So I'm not talking about the Arabs, they, you know, the Muslims, whatever their deal is, their deal is. But we're being singled out. And they know that we've been around forever and ever. And they know that we've always ate kosher. And everybody knows what kosher is. And everybody knows what it is, a shokhed, a, a spiritual, you know, a religious uh, slaughterer. Everybody knows about the whole thing. And yet, you singled them out. And that's not anti-Semitism. It's, uh, it's really a, a sad thing. It's a very sad thing. Let me read to you a couple of lines um, can't do it too much, but basically, you got the gist of it, really. What we're saying is that the, what they do in, in the methods that they use to, uh, to, to deal with the animals and to, uh, to prepare them for the slaughter with this stunning, it's done with gassing, they use mon- carbon monoxide, they use all kinds of other funny things that they're using. It's so... It's so cruel, it's so inhumane, the methodology of the uh, shooting a, 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 a stunning the, uh, the animal with a, sh- a shot to the head, that's considered to be humane? I mean, the, the thoughts of the whole thing are, are bizarre. This is the fastest method of kill, is the, is, the, is the cut through the neck. And everybody accepts that that's the fastest method of kill. But they, they, but they wanted him to. They want the, the animal to be stunned before that. The problem with stunning is it doesn't always work. A lot of animals live and they have to be stunned several times. There's a, there, it's if you would. I'm not kidding me. They're not going to go through the details of that. We're going to pass on this guy and and, and all about the methods. I'm not going to go there. Let me read to you a few words from Rabbi Avi Shafran, who wrote on the topic, and he uh, he says. Um, he says, though, this, the following here, what is undeniably challenged is Jewish life by the imposition of rules that are unnecessary and that inevitably result in preventing law-abiding citizens from simple virtue of their practice of their faith from living normal lives. In other words, what do you care if we eat a kosher steak? What is it doing to the, to, the, to the animals? Do you know how many mink are killed every year? How many little chicks, male chicks are killed every year? By the government, legally, they call it culling. They're getting rid of them because they the wrong type of chicken. It's a chicken that's going to grow into, uh, a, it's the male chicken of the hen-laying eggs. It's not a hen. So when a male chick comes out, they don't need it. So they kill it. And that's what the, that's legal. And this, at the same time they're trying to outlaw shrita, or they are outlawing shrita, they're permitting bizarre methods of handling animals from beginning to end. And I, If you've never seen it in detail, as I said, I'm not going to go there. Let's leave the topic alone. Just realize Greece is in trouble. The UK is getting a challenge now. And one of the interesting things that came up, I had it here, I didn't read it, the RCA put out a press release. It wasn't like earth-shattering. I have it here. Yeah, I've got it right in front of me. The earth, it was a few lines I'll give you. The RCA put out about Greece. Uh, I'll leave the last part here from Rabbi Tzvi Engel, who's the first vice president of the RCA. He said, the Greek decision is another step in effectively determining, I'm saying undermining Jewish life in Europe. It disregards the fact that Jewish law demands humane and sensitive treatment of animals, especially during the ritual slaughter process. We call upon Greece and the European Union to address the contradiction between its avowed tolerance, the tolerance of the Jewish people, and its demonstration of intolerance of those who practice faith traditions. Well, that was part of the statement from the RCA. I have not seen statements 
And again, I didn't say that they're not written. I would like to know that they're written. I have not seen anything talking about what went on in Israel, what's going on now currently in Israel. I'm sure there are things that are written in here in America. I'm sure there was a, there was a, there were connections that we have in between the Jews in America and the Jews in Israel. But if you look on the the news, it seems to be that it's all one-sided. It seems to be that the reform and conservative movements, it's their time. That they are now being accepted as equals with the Orthodox in Israel. That they're planning to permit, they already have a small section of, uh, at the Kosel, and they're trying to w- find a way to make it more prominent. They want to allow them to be able to you know, coexist with us. They want to have them doing their prayer service which is not orthodox and involves women in certain ways and, and reading, the, reading the Torah, etc. And they want to have that right smack in the middle of wherever we are. That's what they're trying to do. They, they, they're not looking for the right to pray at the wall. They're looking to be able to be treated equally at the wall. Reform and conservative orthodox should be merging together at the Kosovo. That's their dream. So it's a, it's a scary thing. And the government is going that way. The government's talking about that. The government has already now officially done something. I don't know how far it went. The latest thing that I saw on November 4th saying that Kashrut revolution legislation passes into law. I, I hope it's not finished yet. I hope it's, it hasn't been signed into law. I hope there's a way to save it. But it seems like that's where it's going. And that new law in Israel is to replace the Rabbanut Harashit, the Eretz Yisrael, to replace the rabbinate of Israel. Israel's rabbinate will still exist, and they'll be able to sit in their offices, and they'll be able to do certain things, but they will no longer control Kashrus in Israel. It'll be taken away from them, and it'll become the wild, woolly East. It'll be like the... Uh, like America, where you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hashkachos with nobody on top of them. They can do anything they want. Let me share with you something that I just became aware of yesterday. And uh, yesterday, or was it Friday night? Friday night, I think. This is very interesting. It's taught, uh, I was speaking to somebody who was the head of one of the kosher organizations in the United States, one of the five big ones. He happened to be in our shul uh, for a simcha, for Shabbos for a simcha. And he shared with me what's going on internationally. It's very, very hard, he said, to get our people into the factories. It's opening up a little bit, he said, but we can't get what we used to have. Right now, it's very hard to do special runs. Yes, we can allow continual, uh, you know, some, some kind of general supervision, or general. But but if you want to do a special run, meaning the Hamish organizations, they can't do it because they can't get access. Now he said we can send to China. We do send to China, but it doesn't pay to send to China unless you have a lot of work for the person to do to spend there to do different things. It, to spend some, send somebody for one job, it doesn't pay anymore. It's too much involved. It's too hard to get in, too hard to go around. And so it, it, it really is the whole, changing the whole what climate of how we do hashkocha. And these are the five big hashkochas that are on top of everything in the United States. But what would happen if a smaller hashkocha has a, 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 a giving certain authentication on something in China or in Venice or in some other country where it's very hard to get into at this particular time. Uh, what happens there? How much are they able to replicate what the big organization can do because he can send somebody in to do a number of things at once and that would somehow pay for it. But this man can't send anybody in there because he only has one Ashkocha there or two. What is he going to do? I don't know. What is he doing now? I don't know. That's why when you shop, look for the big Ashkochas 
or Hamish Ashkocha, or Hamish Ashkocha on top of a big Ashkocha. But you can't, you can't go looking for smaller rabbis because what are they really doing? Now, in Israel, till now, we didn't have that problem. In Israel, till now, we, we had the Rabbanat Rutarshit. Now, you and I know the Rabbanat Rutarshit is not the highest level in the whole world, but it was a level. It was a very sincere, hard-worked level. They put a lot of effort to be able to preserve kashras in Israel. They they discovered all kinds of uh, all kinds of uh, tray for meat being brought in. They're stopping it. They stopped in you know, thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds here. They closed this guy down. They were on top of everything they possibly could be. It was much more tray in Eretz Israel than in America ever had. I mean, I mean, talk about the fake kosher. There's tremendous fake kosher over there. And they're trying their best. What's going to happen now when the hashkachas are going to be making their own decisions of what has to be done? Let me tell you something about this new standard. It's scary. I'll, this is the, the, the part that scares me the most. I'm going to see if you can find it right away. If I can't find it, I'll just tell it to you orally. Basically, it boils down to the fact that you do, we do not have... When, when, the, when the new uh, law is going to be formed, if it, it does form, hopefully pray that it doesn't, but if it does form, what's going to happen is that uh, you're going to have, you're going to have uh, the Rabbanut cannot give Hashkocha, and the Rabbanut's going to set up a certain standard, and the Hashkochas have to meet that standard. So they're going to tell them what we used to do. When we had Hashkocha, Rabbanut, this is what we did, and this is what we want you to do. So it looks like if they can supervise the Hashkochas on some level, and they can give out the rules, then they can basically be doing the same thing before, and maybe they don't have to work so hard. Maybe the other people will pick up the, 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 the will do the work. Maybe that will be happened, so maybe it'll be better, right? That is not, doesn't that sound logical? There's one trick, though. You do not have to follow the rules of the rabbinate. If you get three rabbis, I'm trying to find that exactly where that, I have that written down, but if there are three rabbis who decide a different level that is lower than the standard of the, of the rabbinut, here it is. A kosher corporation will be allowed to choose to meet a more basic standard than that set by the rabbinate if the standard is approved by three municipal rabbis. Now, I don't know what you know about a municipal rabbi. The Rabbanut didn't let these municipal rabbis give Hashkocha because they, they didn't have the standing as, 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 as somebody that they could rely upon. Now, those three rabbis, whoever they are, and, and some of them are, uh, some of these municipal rabbis, a few of them, not too many, but some of the municipal rabbis are open orthodox, meaning that they, they uh, give ordination to women, they call women rabbis, they make women rabbis, and they do all the things that we have in this country that open orthodox is doing. I don't want to detail them now. But the, the, we, in other words, there's going to be a fight between the rabbanut and individual three municipal rabbis, any three. If you can get them to come up with a standard that's lower then the Rabbanut, then it's acceptable. I'm going to read it again. The Rabbanut will set the national... This is the way it's going to read. The rabbis will, Rabbanut will set the national standards for kashras and head an oversight body that will determine the compliance with those standards of the various kashras organizations. In other words, the organizations, uh, the, the badats of this, the badats of that, the rabbi of the year, the rabbi of there, he's going to be able to... He, he's supposed to keep the standards of the Rabbanut. According to the plan, a kosher corporation will be allowed to choose to meet a more basic standard than that set by the Rabbanut, if the standard is approved by three municipal rabbis. This is like going back in history before the Rabbanut existed and said, anybody do whatever you want. And you can imagine the fights that are going to take place. You can imagine the Chilol Hashem that's going to exist when this rabbinate is saying, this is not acceptable, 
And these three rabbis are saying, yes, it is acceptable, and we're going to do it. Imagine what's going to happen in that country. Imagine what's going to happen with a different hashkochos saying, we're going to follow these three rabbis. And there'll be another three rabbis, another three rabbis. Eventually, basically, the rabbanut can go home and enjoy their, enjoy their life. That's what's going to happen in this area. The government of Israel is planning to do this in many areas. They're planning to do it, again, in uh, conversions. They're telling the rabbinate, you can no longer control conversions. They're going to do it in uh, marriages. Right now, the rabbinate controls marriages. Every rabbi, everybody who gets married has to have a rov who is acceptable to the rabbinot to write the ksuba. And all the rules have to be followed with the rabbinate. It has to go through the rabbinate. Like we have in this country, it goes through the, it's the government. It has to go through the government in Israel too. They want to take that away. And they want to accept also non-Jewish, non-religious marriages. You're talking about a Kiddushin. What if we don't want Kiddushin? Can we do it without Kiddushin? Can we get married without Kiddushin? They want that. They want to permit the driving on Shabbos. The next plan is that they should be riding on Shabbos of the buses. I'm not making this up. This is exactly what is being put out as the next steps that are going to be planned by this government in Israel as of today. As crazy as all this sounds, because it's going back to the before the state was ex- existing, it's going back to the original deal that Ben-Gurion made, a deal with the... Uh, with the uh, 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 we made a deal with the Chazonish, and he promised that certain things will not be changed. And now we see that we're taking away the authority that was originally given to the chief rabbi of Israel. It's a very sad time, and I personally, I don't know, as I said, I may be missing everything, but I have not seen one statement from one organization in the United States. Now, there may be 20 of them that did it. I just didn't see any of them where they're saying, don't do this. We, as, the, as Orthodox Jews in the United States, do not want you to do this. I have never seen a letter that's been written that was public. Maybe this is private stuff. Maybe there are public letters that I haven't seen. But I have not seen an organization complain about what's going on in Eretz Israel. Tell you the truth, if I lived in Eretz Israel, I would be out there in the street with, with any group that was going to protest this, because I know where this is headed, more than many people know. Now, I'm going to read this line, which is from a letter, an article by Sher- Jeremy Sharon in, uh, from, the, from November 4th, and it, I did, it is written on the, in the Jerusalem Post. Jerusalem Post article. I'm going to read these two with a few lines. This is a boon for the Kashrut service run by the moderate religious Zionist Tsohar organization, which already operates a Kashrut supervision service through loopholes from earlier laws. They took over, the Tsohar organization took over from Hashkacha Pratit, which was an organization that means hashgacha pratit means I give it myself and I can do anything I want and they and uh, or maybe it's a joke in saying that the hashgacha pratit that Hashem controls it even though nothing is being done whatever it is this is what was given to non-religious restaurants this is how it started non-religious restaurants that wanted to be open on Shabbat and didn't want to have the rabbanut and they, and they didn't want to, so they said okay you can go. And have ash- you can't have ashkocha, you can't call it kosher, you can just have it, uh, you could say it's supervised. And the Tsoar organization took over from Hashgacha Pratit, and they supervise restaurants and other facilities. Now, this is a, then the, through those loopholes, they were actually giving ashkocha for the first few year, last few years. Although until now, Tsoar and other independent kashrut authority could not legally issue kashrut certificates for restaurants and food businesses, stating they're kosher in writing, the abolition of the ge- geographic districts will mean that such certificates will be legal. In other words, they are allowed now, new law, they can give hashkocha. 
This step will immediately boost competition in consulate supervision before the full law takes effect. The truth of the matter is, it's a, you know, it's what you, you think that um, competition is good and will bring the price down. In effect, it's going to bring it up. That was a study that was done. It increased 20% after, they, they, after this is in, in, in play. It, personally, I think it's not going to go up 20%. I don't think it's going to go down. I think it's going to stay the same. And I think there are, if they do this, the Rabbanur is going to be out because, they, because the three rabbis will, it'll be a hefkeris. Eventually, maybe it's, it could be, maybe the Rabbanur will come, be, come back in again if the change in power in Israel. But that will also create tremendous problems. We have a very major problem in Eretz Israel. We, as Orthodox Jews, have, have, been, have been, in my per, personal opinion, have been, uh, uh, have been not working to our capacity in trying to make a positive impression on the non-observant Jews. It, it should have been that they should have respected the rabbis. It should have been that we cleaned up our act um, in, I mean, the Rabbanut cleaned up its act before this happened. There were enough warning signs in the last five to ten years. They could have done something and should have done something. I don't know what efforts were made. I'm sure efforts were made. But for some reason, it didn't get taken care of. And I think no one thought this day would come. But unfortunately, it seems it has come. And I don't know if it's going to ever go back the other way. So uh, the new reality in Israel would be that you would have to choose which hashkachos you could accept and limit yourself to those. And it, it will be a, a major fight as to who is acceptable and who is not. It will take 10 years or more until something stabilizes. That's my, my, my prediction. And at that time, the real winners will be in. And the, and the poor ones, the ones who are not really acceptable, just like in this country... If somebody really is hungry, they may eat it anywhere if they're not so from. But if anybody's from, they ask somebody, they'll tell them, don't use it. I get calls all the time, and it's very interesting. When I get a call, how do they react? A lot of people don't want to hear that I'm saying is not good. Somebody calls up, I don't see you list the symbol. I say, yes, I don't list the symbol because he uses uh, gelatin and carmine and all his products, and he... Uh, he said, well, there's no gelatin in this product. I said, okay, but they, well, let me read the ingredients. Okay, there's eggs there. Eggs come, come packaged. No one comes uh, with eggs from a, from, a, from, an, uh, from a regular egg. They have uh, cans of eggs. And that, that needs a very good ashkocha because there's Nova eggs which from, comes come from, from chickens that have died. And you have to be very, you have to very strict control. And this is a liberal uh, rabbi, and he doesn't do what everybody else does. And you still hear him on the phone, well, you sure you can't? Can I? Could I? Unbelievable. And they're asking me it. So what's going to go on in Israel? It's going to happen that there's going to be people confused and confused and confused. And some people will be safe, because they'll only choose very good ashkachas. And other people will be hoodwinked into it. And just like in America, the ones, the places that are doing funny things and who are not reliable enough and can't get so hard, will then take X, A, A, B, C rabbi and C, D, E, and et cetera, et cetera, X, Y, Z. It'll, it'll happen that way. It's going to have to happen that way. We hope it not, but that's what it sounds like. Now, this story is, I may have mentioned it briefly, but I, you have to hear this story because this is, what happened to Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, that she's the chief rabbi of Tzvas, and he spoke about his removal from his position of supervising Kashras in the nearby town of Chatzor Haglilit, after insisting that a factory uphold halacha. This is all about the current situation. Listen carefully. Instead of the factory owner making changes to adhere to halacha, uh, he, he called religious affairs minister Matan Kahana, who called for new elections for a Rav of Chatzor, so Rav Eliyahu will be removed from his position. In other words, he was kicked out because the owner of the factory went behind the scenes and got Matan Kahana to get a different rabbi to replace him. Now I'm going to quote from you 
from this Rabbi Shmuel Elio. Several months ago, the Rav of Hatzor passed away and asked me to oversee the kashras there. That's his Rabbi Elio is saying. There's a factory there that produces canned and frozen goods, including frozen cauliflower and broccoli. And you know and I know those are heavily infested items. And Israel, where these are being produced, is a very warm climate country with many, many, many insects, many flies, many insects available. Aside from what grows in the ground naturally, it's filled with insects. Listen carefully what had happened here. We carried out an inspection and there were bugs. This is what the rabbi Elio was saying. We told the factory owner he can't sell the vegetables because they're full of bugs. So he said to me, what are you saying? There are hundreds of tons here, millions of shekels. He saw that I wasn't backing down, so he went to this and that minister, so they fired me. That is the story. That's what the rabbi said. I told him, I told the, uh, the owner of this, nothing will help. The ministers aren't poskim. The shulchan aruch is the poisek. Kashish reforms don't decide halacha. What someone will bend to the shulchan, what, what? Someone will bend to the shulchan aruch? Someone will bend the Torah? Okay, that I think is a very strong statement. I forgot where I got this one from. Uh, if, uh, look around. If you need me to tell you where it came from, I could tell you. Listen, I have the original sources. Uh, there's, a, this is, there's a deputy minister of economy. He wrote an extremely condescending statement on Twitter. I don't do Twitter. I'm reading it off somebody uh, who wrote this up. And in his, in his tweet, he said, making light of the situation of thousands of mashkichim who are expected to lose their jobs because of the kashas reforms. This is what Meretz M.K. Yair Galon, Golan, I'm sorry, who is the deputy minister of economy, wrote. I heard that 4,000 mashkichim kashas are worried about their panasa. I suggest that they retrain as safety inspectors at construction sites. It's parnasa and saving lives. There's no greater Kiddush Hashem than that. He's going to tell them, give up your jobs, retrain. That's what's happening in that country? That's how they talk to from people who want to have parnasa? Say, you know, we'll try to help you. Maybe we can be, employ you. Maybe the government will find another job for you. No. Go work in a construction site as a safety inspector. What are you talking about? This, by the way, this, this gentleman that says that he has all kinds of, I don't want to talk about it, but, but the, him, I don't have any interest in talking Lush and Horror about him, but the concept that the government doesn't care about taking 4,000 mashkichim and throwing them in the garbage and say, go start your life over again. They're families. You know, it's, it's amazing. He doesn't say it won't happen, we're not going to fire them. He doesn't say we'll try to find another job. He says, let them eat, cake. Let them eat uh, cake. You know, let, let them eat, th- they don't, if they can't find the bread to eat, let them eat cake. What kind of business is this? This is how we talk about other Jews who are suffering? There's something going on in Israel today that I don't understand. Now, I want to share with you again, I, maybe I've mentioned it before, but this is, I just saw on their website. It's called Kosher Road. I've talked about Kosher Road a few times. Kosher Road is a wonderful organization. It's run by a more moderate uh, Orthodox uh, rabbi and, and many other people, members too. But this Rabbi Katz, who uh, one of Moshe Katz, a wonderful man, and uh, they do wonderful work. I'll tell you what they do. They go into establishments and they check them out and decide whether they're high enough quality or not. And they don't care if it's under Rabbanut, the badats of this, the badats of that. They're doing independent research. It's amazing. And they also have educational programs, etc. But they're not afraid to say that the Rabbanut is good, 
Rabbanut is bad. They're not afraid to say this kashras agency is good, this kashras agency is bad. And they have no vested interest. That's the beauty. I can't read the whole thing in Hebrew because it's long. Even the piece that they wrote in English is a little bit... Uh, let me get if I can have that one in front of me at the same time. Uh, this is not the one. Maybe I have it lying someplace else. Yes, this is the one. This is a, a poor English translation of the Hebrew. But listen to this. Tomer ben Tzvi is the director of Kashrus, of Kosherot. He's one of the directors of Kosherot. The real person who in charge of the uh, head of the organization is Rabbi Moshe Katz. But anyway, Tomer ben Tzvi, he said, we chose to mediate to the public the implications of the kosher reform for all of us and what it requires of us. Invest and try to save what's possible. Comment on failures in the law and correct it. But in fact, except for a few amendments, all the objections to the law that we submitted through the Knesset members were rejected without discussing them at all. Just rejected all the objections in one vote without even reading them. This is an independent organization that is respected across the board by the most religious and the most moderate this kosher wrote organization. You can, by the way, it's a great website. If you go there, kosher wrote, the way it sounds, K-O-S-H-A-R-O-T. Kosher wrote organization, they gave in recommendations. You want to change the, you want to change the law? Let us tell you what to do. They never asked the Rabbanut. They had no meetings with the Rabbanut. And they, they made the changes completely on their own. And he is an independent kosher organization. And they said, they just pushed us off. They just brushed us off. What does that tell you? What does it tell you about what this is? What we, is this L'Shem Shemayim? You don't even want to find out what the people know after spending years and years and years investigating and making recommendations to the Kashrus organizations and to the Rabbanut? Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Um, the thing that upset them the most, this Ben Svi was upset the most, is the fact that the law does not apply to captive audiences in educational institutions and, and hospitals that provide services to an audience that cannot choose what it eats. In other words, you're telling us, that's what they said, uh, they quote uh, uh, Matan Kahana saying that, you know, people, are you, he, he's quoted as saying, we hope, that we, uh, where it exactly? Basically what Matan Kahana has been saying is, people know what's good. And they're going to make a good decision. So they're going, to be, they're going to know whether this is a proper standard or not. Oh, here it is. Here's a quote. He says, Such was taken into account but almost insulted for the public on the grounds that the public is smart and knew how to choose between the, I mean, knows how to choose between the good qualifications and those that are not reliable. You know, the assumption he has is that you'll decide who is good and who is bad which of course is impossible for the average person to do. But the, what the kosher road people are saying, well, what do you expect somebody in the hospital to do? Who's deciding for them? You're now making it the, 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 the hospital staff is going to decide because the person who's in the hospital or in some other institution, he can't make a decision. Now, are they doing that anyway? Of course, but they had their rabbanut, which is a classic standard. And they had, in and, and, and some places, of course, they had higher standards. But they had the Rabbanut, whether they had Mahadran or Ragil, but they had the Rabbanut, which is a total standard. And now they're going to go, and they're going to choose somebody, whoever it is, and they're within their rights to choose that. And I, as a person who was utilizing this facility, cannot have any say. And do not know, I mean, if somebody is in the hospital, they don't they sit and re- research what's going on in the kitchen, impossible. I just want to bring in the last part of, on this topic from Rabbi Moshe Katz, who is the head of the kosher organization. We hope that the reform of Matan Kahana will shake the system and lead everyone to the insight that the kashra system needs to be repaired. This is the key line. This reform is not the solution to the current situation. In other words, all he's saying is, the, with, if you're doing this law, and you're changing it, 
Maybe we can make it good afterwards. But this is not the end. We need upgrade. We need tight controls. We need, in other words, you want to do something, fine. Don't just open it up. It has to be resolved. In other words, what's going to happen, and I'm predicting it, you can be sure, if, it's, if it happens, I'll tell you about it. I'm predicting that if this law goes through, that this organization, Kosher Wrote, is going to speak very strongly against so many aspects of what's going on in Israel. It's going to be very, very powerful, and it's going to make a wave in the, in the country, because they are independent, and they have the knowledge. And when they see that it's not going in the right way, which is the way I expect it's going to happen, they're going to speak up, and it's going to be very, very strong reaction. So I don't know if we did accomplish that much tonight that was so different. I wish we could go more on to this, into these, these few topics that I took. Let me tell you what I passed on, <laughs> and I'm going to still try to get to, if I Hashem in the future weeks, I kept saying that I was going to talk about the situation in Israel because it just changed from that, yeah, that's kosher, which is telling you the current situation before the law actually changes in the country and gives you a very good guidelines that I talked about last week, that article. I did want to share with you um, some, some things that our Jews are doing to ourselves. I wanted to talk about an organization called NKC, it's, the, it's not National Kosher Certification. NKC is not kosher certified. An organization that's dedicated to putting products out that are not kosher certified. It's their reaction to kosher. Very interesting article. We did go into that topic many years ago, but I want to revisit it to let you know what's currently being done in that area. And unfortunately, they have certain companies that are signed up as NKC, not kosher certified. Wanted to talk in that same vein about some of the Jewish groups that are creating a, a stir by some of their negative comments, and I wanted to talk what's going on in the colleges because I have a lot of information about particular colleges and uh, and and some of the problems that are going on there and some of the good points that are going on. But the one thing that, of course, upsets me the most, and I'll just share it with you in one line, is that they're constantly mentioning that. Not all the people use kosher only at the college campuses. A number of people double dip. They eat the kosher, and they eat from the non-kosher dining room. And very often it's the younger people who are eating kosher, and as they get older, they switch away from kosher and get more into the regular dining room. There's a tremendous temptation. If you when you read these articles, I don't know if we're going to get to write it up in the magazine. When you read this, it's scary. Because what they're saying is the college campus, the whole thing is social. Seeing your friends, meeting classmates. And if you can't sit in the same place, then you, you can't have your friends. You're, you're going to be isolated. You're going to become some kind of you know, hermit. So therefore, you don't want to eat in a kosher dying room. You want to be able to eat in the non in the, in the general dining room. Well, so maybe they have a kosher stand, and you can bring that food and eat together. In the, together, so many of the places don't have that, and they have it only in the uh, private areas where you can do the kosher dining. And those areas where you can do it together, and you can mix. Of course, they're sitting with people who are eating non-kosher, and they're more and more tempted to try this. It, it wouldn't be, if you eat this, nothing's going to happen to you. This is not trafe. This is what's going to be going on. The temptation is unbelievable that goes on in a, on a private college, uh, public college, private college. And uh, if anybody has children of that age and you do want to send them to the university, make sure they stay at home, give them their food, uh, unless you know exactly what they're doing and exactly where they're hanging around because otherwise they're being exposed, and the older they get, the further away they get from Yiddishkeit. That's, that's the college experience. You can check it out with anybody. Anyway, I think the time is up. We're going to have to end this program, and we'll take care of it again next week. Um, we are announcing tomorrow, I mean, today is Sunday. I'm, I'm prepared to before, before Monday. 
And um, on Tuesday, we're going to be handing out the Mashkich of the Year Award. I will not tell you who it is, but I will tell you he's not from New York, he's not from New Jersey, and he is from the state of California. He's not going to come in. We're doing it online, but it will be pre- we're going to present the award at the Kosher Fest, and we'll be online with our Mashkich of the Year. Very interesting gentleman. And uh, we'll be discussing, hopefully have him on the show in two or three weeks. So I'll look forward to that time. It's going to be very interesting. He has a very, very interesting gentleman. And uh, you'll understand in a minute why we, why we took him as the Mashkiach of the Year. So until that time, I'm going to, until next week, I wish everybody a wonderful week. This has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashus Magazine. And you can reach us by calling 718-336-8544, or Kashus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Have a wonderful week.